Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. You know, I got to tell you up front this morning that I am so jazzed about this new series we're launching into today. And the reason I'm so pumped about it is the fact that it has the potential to radically change the way we think, the way we view what's going on in the culture around us, and the way we react on a day-to-day basis. It's centered around a biblical character who survived and thrived, not on his skill, not on his exalted accomplishments, but on his bravery and confidence in God. And I believe that more than ever before, we need to emulate the character traits of this man. His name is Joshua. And there's an entire Old Testament book written about him. And so today we're gonna begin a journey through the book of Joshua, looking at the life of this incredible guy. If ever we as the church need to be strong and courageous and exhibit enormous faith in our God, it's at this point in time in our nation. Now, let's begin with a little background information. In Joshua chapter one, we find the nation of Israel standing on the brink of what they had always wanted, what they had waited for for years. They were about to receive the promise God made to Abraham years earlier that they were going to be a great nation. They were finally going to inherit a land and have a permanent home of their own. Now, what had transpired up to this point is that the nation of Israel had just spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt. But then, as most of you know, Moses came along And he was called by God to deliver the Jewish people from slavery to Pharaoh. But even though God sent all kinds of plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, Pharaoh was very stubborn and wouldn't let the Jews go free. Until finally, God warned Pharaoh that he would take out the firstborn sons of the Egyptians if they didn't change their mind. Well, Pharaoh thought that either God wouldn't or couldn't take out his firstborn son and all the other firstborn sons, but he was wrong. And so finally, after 10 plagues and Pharaoh losing his firstborn son, he relented and the Jewish people were liberated. And so God was now leading his people to what would be known as the promised land. And there were a lot of trials and obstacles along the way and a whole bunch of grumbling against God. And then they arrived at the doorstep of the promised land. And they sent 12 spies to go and check it out. And all 12 spies came back with the same report, which was, hey, this is a great place. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, just like God said. The resources are tremendous, but the opposition is powerful. I mean, they're big and strong and well-equipped. It would take a miracle to defeat these people. You know, all 12 spies gave the same report. The only difference is that 10 of them said, no way we can do this. But two of them said, We have to go. Guys, this is our promised land. We just need to trust God and go for it. And those two men were Joshua, who we're about to study, and Caleb. They were the only ones who had the courage to trust God and be ready to go into the land. But unfortunately, the rest of the Israelite people followed the advice of the other 10 spies. And as a result, God became angry with that generation for their lack of faith. And he promised them that they would not inherit the land. 
And so they spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert until every single adult of that generation had died off. God's plan was now for the next generation to receive the blessings. So that original group of adults has all died and Joshua is now standing on the outer edge of the promised land with a new generation of people. After 40 years of waiting, Israel is getting ready to go into the promised land. Now, all throughout the Bible, we see this process that God employs. It's always deliverance, development, and destiny. There are three movements in a believer's life. First of all, there's deliverance, right? They were delivered from Egypt, and that's like our salvation, deliverance from spiritual bondage. And then there was development, that was the wilderness. That's our spiritual growth. They went through the trials and tests of the wilderness to learn to trust God. And then there's destiny, the promised land, the place God wanted them to go for his purposes. This is where they would experience the promises and the blessings of God. And that's true for us as well. You know, there is deliverance from spiritual bondage, spiritual development through the tests and trials of life. And then we arrive at the place of destiny. God's purpose for our lives. Now, we have a lot to say about the timing of God's promises. God's promise is sure, but the timing, much of it belongs to us because it has to do with whether we're willing to be developed, to grow our faith during times of testing. So Israel has now come to the edge of the promised land and the stage is set for them to capture their inheritance. And did you know that every believer has an inheritance? That is a purpose that God has for your life. I mean, you've heard people say, you've probably said yourself, I believe God has me here for a reason. Okay, that's this driving sense of purpose that bubbles up within us, that God created in us. So the Jews get ready to cross over the Jordan to Canaan, some two million people. And the stage is set for God to give Joshua instructions on this move to the promised land. And God has something, I believe, to teach us as well. See, the Bible says that the Old Testament was written for our example. Okay, so this is Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And this is what he said. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now it's time to move on, right? Moses was a great leader, but Moses is yesterday. Moses is gone. I mean, one of the worst things you can do is live in yesterday. You should appreciate the good things of yesterday. You should learn from the bad things of yesterday, but you can't live there because anybody who lives in yesterday does not maximize today and usually messes up tomorrow. Moses is dead, but you got to keep going. Have a memorial service for yesterday. Visit the gravesite, but don't live there. One of Israel's problems all throughout their journey was they kept looking back to Egypt, the leeks and the garlic. And so they were missing out on the milk and honey in the promised land. I don't live in the rearview mirror of your life. Moses is dead. So now, Joshua, you got to go on. You can't think about the past. It's time to move forward. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. So he tells them to move forward and seize what God has already promised, to seize their spiritual inheritance. Look at verses three and four. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river. 
I have given you every place. It's already been given to you. You just don't have it because you haven't gone to get it. You know, you can pay for a child's education, but that doesn't mean they get one. Because if they don't go to class, if they don't study, if they don't do their homework, it wasn't that it wasn't provided, it was that it was not embraced. God's promises are guaranteed, but they're not automatic. Let me say it again. God's promises for you, his preparation, his design, his destiny for you is guaranteed, but it's not automatic. It doesn't just fly down from heaven. You know, this brings in God's sovereign provision and our human responsibility, right? I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads. Now the tread was a wine press where you would press the grape juice out of the grapes to produce the juice that was fermented and became the wine. In other words, it was creating something new out of something that existed. You got wine out of the grapes. Every place where you set your foot. So yes, God wants us to pray, but he also wants us to do based on what we're praying for. If it's within our capacity to do. Some things you can't do because there's no capacity to do it. But here, God says, I've given it. You just got to go get it. So keep that in mind because there are two extremes. One extreme is I'm going to trust God to get it and do nothing. The other extreme is I'm going to do something and not trust God to give it. Both are wrong. The goal is to touch heaven while moving on earth. It's to reach above while your feet are walking on the ground. So go get it. God says in verse five, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. And notice what he says in verse six, be strong and courageous. And verse seven, only be strong and very courageous. And verse nine, be strong and courageous. It even says it at the end of verse 18, be strong and courageous. Now, Let me clarify something here. Courage is not the absence of fear. In fact, if there is no fear, there is no real courage. Courage is charging ahead, pushing forward in the face of fear. Some people believe there are those who are just born courageous. They just come out of the womb with an attitude where they throw caution to the wind. They're just naturally courageous. Like the guy who dove into freezing cold water to save a woman who had fallen off an ocean liner. And that evening, they were having a big celebration for this guy on the ship, and the captain and all the crew and people on board the ship were just praising him for his bravery. And when it finally came time for this man to speak, somebody put a microphone up to him and asked if he had a few words to say. And he said, yeah, I I just have one question. Who pushed me? (laughs) See, here's the truth. Biblical courage, biblical courage is not something that just comes naturally. It's a gift from God. It comes from leaning on God and faith in his promises. In fact, hear me on this, the more fearful you are about going into a difficult, risky situation, but you still go in, the more courageous you actually are. And why does God tell them to be strong and courageous? Well, because there will be resistance when they cross over to the land and claim their inheritance. In the land were the Hittites, Jebusites, Canaanites, Amorites, Enemies of God were in the land. So there's going to be resistance to you claiming what God has for you. You know, I know we live in this name it and claim it world where some people just claim anything. That's not what we're talking about here. 
I mean, you can't claim what God does not give, but you can claim what he does give, his promises. But to do that, you got to be strong and courageous. In other words, don't let your fear of people, circumstances, or situations overrule your fear of God. See, the enemy wants to deny you. Satan wants to deny you what God has for you. So he resists you. And here's the question you got to ask, am I in God's will right now? That's the question. Once you answer that question as clearly as you can, like to the best of my knowledge, I am living, walking, and operating in your will, God, in obedience to what you've told me in this book, the Bible. Once you can say that, you just got to be strong and courageous. Keep going in spite of the opposition because there's an enemy out there who wants to keep you from what God has for you. And I love God's assurance here. He says, no one will be able to stand against you. No one. In other words, I will not allow men to overrule me. You see, that changes everything. Changes being threatened. Changes being bullied or overrun. It builds confidence to know that when you're operating in God's will, men do not have the last word. So folks, be strong and courageous. And then he says, stay tethered, tied tightly to my word. Look at verse 7. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And notice the word succeed here. How do you claim your inheritance? How do you reach your destiny? How do you become successful? Well, let me define success. Because we live in a world where success is how much money you have, how much power you wield, what position do you hold. Success is usually defined in terms of four major categories in the world. Popularity, power, prosperity, and position. But biblical success is when you have fulfilled your purpose, God's purpose for you. I mean, you can have all the categories of the world and be a failure because you're not fulfilling your purpose. Acts 13, 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. That's success. It's when it's time for you to go to sleep, die, and go to heaven. You can look back like Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness. That's success. Those other things are trinkets. And there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with prosperity, having money, having position in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't let that alone make you think you're successful. When you've fulfilled your purpose, when you're doing what you know God wants you to do for where you are right now, then you're on your way to success. Now, did you notice that God says carefully observe the book of instruction? In other translations, it's called the book of the law. And so he's talking about a book, the Bible. But for Joshua, that was just the first five books of the Bible because that's all they had back then. He only had the first five books of Moses. We have 66. He had five. And he tells them to do a number of things with this book. First, he says, don't let it depart from your mouth. He says, speak it. 
Use your lips. Say it. Declare it. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. Say what it says. Become so acquainted with it that you can spout it out. This book, my word, is so critical to your success that I want you to speak it. Because when you speak it, you remember it better and it ministers to others as well. But in order to speak it, you got to know it, right? And so God also says, I want you to meditate on it. To meditate is to think about something, to chew on it, to roll it over in your mind. This is the second point. Save it. You are to meditate on it day and night. Now, meditation was used to describe a cow chewing cud. That's where that word comes from. You know, Wendy and I, we live on 10 acres of land, and in order to keep our ag exemption, we breed longhorns. And let me just give you a little lesson on the digestive systems of bovines. Okay, it's a great discussion right before lunchtime, I know. But if you've ever seen a cow with stuff running all down his mouth, here's what's going on. You country folk listening, you know that cows have multiple stomachs. And so when a cow is eating grass and stuff, it'll chew on it and it'll swallow it, but then it'll regurgitate it and start chewing on it some more. And then swallow it and throw it back up again and then chew it some more until it gets really watery, really runny, and it starts dripping all over the cow's mouth. And because he chewed on it so long and melted it so much, it's become soft and pliable so that now it can just roll down his throat and into his stomach because he's been working it over. So God is saying to work the word over, chew on it. And as a pastor, I know that if I saw you at the outlet mall on Wednesday and I said, give me a rundown of my sermon last Sunday. Okay, that's just three days later. I could probably run into you on Monday and get the same response, but I'll give you a break. Let's say we bump into each other on Wednesday. I think most of you would be stuttering a little bit, right? You'd say, ah, something about eternity. Now, there'd be something vague and way out there because it's easy to lose, easy to forget, isn't it? And that's why God says, save it, chew on it over and over, meditate on it. So speak it, save it. And then finally, he says, I want you to serve it. Verse 8 says, carefully observe everything written in it. See, all of this is designed to drive the word deep in your soul so that you'll serve it. You'll operate on it. I could have said do it, but I think serve it speaks to the fact that we have to decide whether we're going to serve our own thoughts, our own way of doing things, or submit to God's thoughts, God's word, God's way of doing things. So you're speaking it, and you're saving it, and you're serving it. Why? So that you're not losing it. So that you're not losing it. Tells them back in verse 7, do not turn from it to the right or the left. Meaning don't deviate from it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. You ever have people in your life who try to tell you what you're saying? And what they're telling you you're saying is not what you're actually saying? But it happens all the time. And it's frustrating but they think they know what you're saying. And you say, that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. And they weren't doing it on purpose. They just didn't get it. Well, God does not want your human opinion or my human opinion to deviate from what he's saying. He doesn't need help in communication. He invented language. So when human opinion deviates from divine revelation, then you've gone to the right or to the left. And it's easy to do because there are so many opinions, right? Everybody's got a thought. Everybody's got an opinion. And in postmodernism, there are no absolutes. 
Everybody has their own view. I know my truth. Everybody's got an opinion. I mean, look at how many times a day you use the words, well, I think, and that's because everybody's got a thought and there's so much to have a thought about. And don't look at television or social media because there are a billion different opinions. And so the question is, how do you sort through all that? Well, when it comes to your destiny, your inheritance, God says, you better listen to me and my opinion. Now, obeying God and listening to his feelings and thoughts on the matter can be quite challenging. And that's because God is often, and Lord, you understand how I mean this. He's kind of weird, right? His ways You don't believe me? God's getting ready to tell Joshua to march around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, and then the walls are going to come tumbling down. What kind of military strategy is that? Well, the question is, do you want the walls to come down or not? If you do, God says that's the way to do it. But if Joshua were to use his own human intuition, his own human opinions, he wouldn't be taking over Jericho. God says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. I don't roll like you roll. You know, on a lot of things, God's going to be different than you. His approach will be different. And so when your thoughts conflict with or contradict with him, do you turn to the right or the left? Because if you're just a little out of alignment, it can take you in a whole different direction in the long run. And here's how this works. God's objective word opens the door for his subjective guidance. God's objective word, what he says, opens the door for his subjective guidance. In other words, his word doesn't talk about every single thing you're gonna deal with in life in specifics. Doesn't tell you which job to take out of a number of job offerings. His word doesn't tell you whether you should relocate to this city or that city. You can't go to a verse to find that out. There are a million decisions to be made in life for which you will not find specific direction in the Bible. Now, the Bible covers principles and, and precepts. It doesn't give you all those details. And you do need guidance on the things that you're facing that the Bible doesn't talk about directly. So when you follow what God says objectively, that is, you operate by this principle that he gives, even though this principle doesn't exactly directly talk about your specific issue, you then open up the door for his subjective movement in your life. That is guidance maybe bring in new thoughts or new people to say something you didn't think before. Following his objective word opens up the door for God to lead you. You know, it's kind of like in football, right? You've got the NFL rules. These are the rules the game is played by. And they're non-negotiable. They are fixed rules. But then every team has their own playbook. There's an NFL rule book, but then there's a team playbook. And the playbooks on every team are different. They have different playbooks because they're different teams with different people leading them. And while the rules don't change, the plays do change. Sometimes you call audible. Sometimes you call plays on the spot that you hadn't planned to call. But all the plays in the playbook must operate within the rules in the rule book. Well, the Bible is the rule book and the Holy Spirit gives the playbook. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to kind of lead you and open this door and close this door and give you an idea here or there. He may bring a person into your life to guide you. He negotiates the different plays as you move along, as long as you're operating by the rule book on the field of play. That's why we talk all the time about doing life with God every moment of every day. 
It means a little two-second prayer here, a little five-second prayer there. Inviting the Holy Spirit to call the play in that instance. Just say, God, help me to know what to say to this person in need right now. Or God, how do I respond in this situation when I'm feeling so hurt or so angry? God, give me wisdom and the right words to speak as I go into this important meeting. If I need to call an audible, make sure that's clear in my mind. And if you think that doesn't work or that God doesn't lead you or give you impressions, it's only because you're not used to trying it and inviting God into each and every moment of your life. I'm telling you, the more you do it, the better you get at it. But that's what we're all about here. We are messed up, imperfect people learning to do life with a perfect God. Why? So we can have the best life possible, what Jesus called the abundant life. That's God's purpose. That's God's destiny for us. So following God's objective word opens the door for his subjective guidance on a moment-by-moment basis. You know, if you look at the Bible, there was nowhere in the five books of Moses that would have told Joshua how to defeat Jericho. He couldn't go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy to find out how to defeat Jericho. There's nothing in there. But because he was operating by the rule book, God could give him the specific Jericho plan. A lot of times we block the subject of guidance of God to move us to our destiny because we argue with the book of the law. God says, follow what's in the Bible and then I'll guide you with the rest. Okay, look at verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves for within three days you will be crossing the Jordan. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's roll. So God talked to Joshua. Now Joshua's talking to the people and he says, it's time to go. In verse 12, he tells the tribes that had already received their inheritance, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half tribe of Manasseh, right? You guys, you've already received your inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. You are to leave your family and help out. It says at the end of verse 14, okay, says, your best soldiers must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them. I mean, just because you got yours doesn't mean you don't help other people get theirs. It's a great principle here. He's challenging them not to be selfish because they had already received their inheritance, but to join in so that everybody was able to get what God had for them. We look at verse 15. Until the Lord gives your brothers rest. You know, rest is is the enjoyment of your destiny. That's rest, when you get to enjoy the goodness of God in your life. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on the east side of the Jordan. And they answered Joshua, everything you have commanded us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. Certainly, the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. The biblical principle here is this. We will follow you as our leader because we trust that God is leading you. Now, let me give you a little warning here. You should honor your leaders, follow your leaders to a point, but not to a fault. When a leader leaves God, you leave the leader. I mean, all those people who follow cults and wind up losing their lives, you know, Jim Jones and those people in Waco, that's because the Bible got lost in a personality. Now, God uses people. He said, I was with Moses and I'm gonna be with Joshua. God uses people. 
And leaders can blow it. Nobody's perfect. But if they blow it and don't repent, the Bible says that you're not to follow them. But you are if they're following the Lord. And Joshua was clearly following the Lord. So they affirmed their support of him. Okay, as we close here, I just want to say this. Right now, in the middle of all this craziness with COVID and civil unrest and the election, we have to trust God to give us success. And by success, I don't mean buildings and numbers. I'm talking about fulfilling his purpose for our lives. God's promises are guaranteed, but they're not automatic. You have to follow God's objective word. Speak it, save it, and serve it. And then you do life with God. You ask him for specific subjective guidance moment by moment. You trust God for deliverance. You work with him on your development. And then you'll become successful and experience your destiny. You'll fulfill your purpose in this life, God's purpose for you in this life. And that's when you'll enjoy the good life. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so excited about this study through the book of Joshua. And it just keeps getting better each and every week as we dive in here. So many principles that we can learn. So God, I pray that we would learn from the life of Joshua to be strong and courageous, to operate by the principles of your word, to meditate on your word, to speak your word, to follow your word, and then to trust you to give us guidance moment by moment because when we are faithful to what you've already revealed, your objective word, you will guide us subjectively. You will give us wisdom each and every moment of each and every day. So God, we love you and we just pray in the weeks ahead, we would be open to what you have to teach us from this wonderful book in the Bible. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.